and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 144, and we are recording on a Tuesday night as more storms are rolling into the New Orleans area, making Dave and I miss our um, Midwestern heritage because we're in tornado watches. So anyway, but dang the torpedoes full speed ahead. We're going to re- talk about some Star Wars stuff. Um but we're also, it's Tis the Week of uh, Mardi Gras parades starting because, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit during the show, but Chewbacca is this Saturday. Um, and uh, so we're off and running. I cannot believe, actually, somebody told me on Saturday, we're a month away from Mardi Gras. And I'm like, uh, it, it's so, so close yet so far away, but... Um, Anyway. Well, and one of the fun things about it is that it feels like it takes forever to get here and then it just flies. So you're like waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. And then next thing you know, everywhere there you go, there's a parade, a ball, Mardi Gras Indians. It's like you get all the Mardi Gras in one day, one so chunk. None of, and none of us are, have been training for it. I have been a little bit with my gigs that have been going until 1 a.m. So... And then the dog waking me up at like, you know, six. So I've, I've been training a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, but anyway, other than that, how are you guys doing this week? We off to a good start. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, busy, tiring, but you know, hanging in there. So I can't really complain about life right now. Yeah, we're doing all right. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, so tonight we're going to be talking we got a lot of news for you. Um, and then we're going to be talking about, um, the, was this the third episode of bad batch Four episode four called faster. And, uh, it might be the fastest rundown of, uh, clone wars episode ever, but you know, as the more I thought about it and actually when I first saw it, I was like, well, you'll hear my impressions because my first impressions were meh. And uh, actually, Fredo and I were talking about it a little bit last night. And you know, he, I said, what'd you think? He's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's it. He says, yeah. But then the more I've been thinking about it through the week, it's uh, th- I think there's some interesting things in there. But we'll uh, we'll be talking about that episode. Um, but first, let's start off with some good old Star Wars trivia. Um, so, Dave. I have the rule. My rule is the first one I see, I have to read. Okay, Dave. Put your thinking cap on. Okay. Whose body disappears as it's struck by Darth Vader's lightsaber? Obi-Wan Kenobi. All right, so here's the controversy. That was the correct answer. Here's the controversy that I've heard on other from other podcasts, and it makes me mad to no end that there is a theory out there that Obi-Wan disappeared before being struck by the lightsaber. We've and talked about this. We've, we, we've yeah, talked we about have, this. But I have, no. to, I have to beat that dead horse again because it's... Well, first of all, it's... if I think Star Wars Trivial Pursuit DVD, the Saga Edition, that is now canon because it says, you know whose body disappears as it's struck by Darth Vader's lightsaber. So Lucasfilm said, yes, that's the answer. But 
I, why, why, do, why do people think that and want to think that? Hmm. And where, I mean, nowhere else have we seen a Jedi spontaneously combust. I mean, so it's what, but why do you, why do you think people want to go down that route? I can say why people would want to think that, and it, it's strictly to as an fu to Vader, like he didn't kill Obi Wan. Obi Wan self sacrificed to the extent that he didn't even allow him to deliver the killing blow. He just disappeared himself. Alfredo, do you have a thought either way? No, I don't. There's a real world answer, which is the effects were in 1976 were not quite up to par for what we wanted to portray. But part of me thinks it's, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think at that moment. I mean, in the moment as it's happening, Obi Wan has given himself to the Force. Whether it's the Vader's lightsaber striking him, making him dematerialize, or he does it a moment before, kind of like when Yoda passes away, it's it's splitting hairs. I also I don't necessarily go into the mindset of thinking so, that at that moment Obi-Wan's being petty and like, you will not have this victory. It's like, no, he's giving himself at a big moment to save Luke. So, okay, so so then do you, to be devil's advocate here then, do you think the soul leaves its body before your heart stops beating and your brain goes silent? Some people would say so. So we need to get a priest on this uh, podcast one day and talk about this. <laughs> anyway, uh, the power but, of Christ compels you. The but, bed is on my I, foot. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. It, I think it. I think it cheapens uh, Obi Wan's sacrifice. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, no, it's okay. So Fredo, your question. All right. So who fires a cable that ensnares Luke, pinning his arms to his sides? Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Smells like your mama's kisses. Oh. <laughs> That's one of the best. I'm totally meant to fall down here. <laughs> hey, you made me drink my spill. Uh, okay. And by the way, Robot Chicken Star Wars. Everybody watch it. It's the best version of Boba Fett. Um, for me, what type of vehicles are used to fly attack pattern Delta? Go now. Snowspeeders. T-47s to be exact, everybody. But it just says snowspeeders. So, but it is T-47s. So, I put my nerd glasses on. All right. So, I, I want to, I know I'm, we're going to toss it to Fredo for the news. Um, but so yeah, uh, the, the first one is, uh, is most awesome. And I think it will take a little bit of uh, discussion as well. Cause I, I wonder about something, but Fredo. So yeah, so the big news today was that, um, the Academy Award nominations for this year came out is the 95th Academy Award. So congratulations to all the nominees, everything from. Angela Bassett uh, being nominated for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, to Kihut Kwan and the whole cast of Everything Everywhere All at Once getting all those nominations. But one interesting one apparently, was... Apparently Lucy approves. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you got it. if you haven't seen that movie, go see it. Uh, but one interesting one was John Williams, the one and only, was nominated for his original score for 
Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which makes him, I believe, the record holder for oldest nominee for an Academy Award at the bright young age of 91. Let's think about this. You said it's the 95th Academy Awards and he's 91. But um, so first of all, I haven't seen The Fablemans. Dave, Fredo, have you guys? No, I haven't had a chance yet. It, it's, I haven't seen that one it's, yet. So what, Steven, Sp- Steven Spielberg's kind of... Semi-autobiographical. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and apparently uh, John Williams wrote a... a, 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 a anyway, I won't get it. He, he was, did the score for this movie. Um, here's my question. For, you know, and I don't know how deserving, like I said, I haven't heard the score, so I don't know how deserving it is. I don't know how deserving anybody else is. But does the Academy Award look at like, okay, we've got John Williams and he's 91. He ain't going to be with us forever. This is probably the last thing he's scoring for a movie. Does that go into, does that go into the uh, consideration of the Academy? Dave, what do you think? I, I don't see why it would, but I mean, I guess it could. Um, would it for you, if you were, would that be something to consider? No, I mean, they have the whole Lifetime Achievement Award, you know, and I think like that's sort of meant to cover all previous sins. Sure. Um, and so like that's like that's out there and you can always lean on that if you want to and um, well, there was the reason why I bring this up because there's some speculation I heard on a, another show that you know Steven Spielberg was has uh, a nomination for best director I believe or something like that and yeah he does and it's um, and the the speculation is it's kind of a because it's his story and it kind of a lifetime achievement you know honorary nomination would he get it because that I don't know. Um, I would be surprised. I would be surprised, honestly, just because both the Daniels, the two guys who directed everything ever all at once, and Martin McDonough, who did the Banshees of Inisherin, those seem like they're the neck and neck leaders. Surprisingly enough, uh, it's uh, now. I will say that the catch with the Fablemans is not just it's Steven Spielberg telling an, in an essence his story; it's also just the nature of the power and the magic of movies, which the Academy loves to reward uh i would be surprised though if somehow he gets ahead of either one of those nominations or even the guy who directed todd uh todd field oh just right quick i was going to mention so we uh who else was nominated alongside um uh steven spielberg so i just want to sorry uh, john williams so for best original score you have john williams for the fablemans sun lux for everything everywhere all at once Carter Burwell for Benches of Anishran, Justin Horowitz for Babylon, and Volker Bertelman for All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, I haven't seen I've, any of those, so I can't I can't judge one against I've the other. S- yeah. I've seen two of them. It'll be interesting. I, I almost think, like, in some ways, now, I'm trying to remember, what's the last Academy Award that John Williams got? So, it, you know, it wouldn't, be surpri- it wouldn't be surprising if he gets it just because he is defining for so many modern uh, movie composers and audiences what the sound of a movie is. Um, But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I wonder if, first of all, do you think he'll be at the Academy Awards? Because normally he's, you know, he's directed the score, the orchestra there at times. But I wonder if at 91, he's like, 
do I really want to put my no get myself in a tux and get myself down the red carpet? Maybe he does. Maybe that's what keeps him kicking. So well, I guess we that's shall true. see. But anyway, I just I what this came across to I was like I was giddy. I was like, this is cool that John Williams gets another nomination. So random factoid because you guys got me thinking about Spielberg. Um he's a seven time best director winner. That seems a little low. <laughs> It's interesting because the kind of movies that we would think he would get nominated for, a lot of he wasn't really racking nominations till the nineties, you know, when Schindler's List came out and he won for that. And then he famously got snubbed for the best director for uh when um Shakespeare in Love beat Saving Private Ryan. But it's always surprising when he's a three time winner. I say I, I said seven yeah. time, like only three actually. Like he won for Schindler's List, Best Picture and Best Director, and then he won Best Director for Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's yeah, it. That. That's it. Yeah. I mean, when you consider just consider the kind of movies he's made in the last twenty years, stuff like Munich and Catch Me If You Can, and you start thinking, why wow, uh, Lincoln? Which I believe he also got nominated for. Yeah. But I also think in some ways part of the problem for Spielberg is he's a known quantity. He's Spielberg. That's the thing I was just it's going to say. Like- I will I will I'll say this, Dave. Um, and it was gonna be my question, uh, because the two that you said he won for, um, Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List are like no other Spielberg movie that you've ever seen. It's not like Raiders. It's not like Close Encounters. It's not like Jaws. So, if if you have, I'm not calling Steven Spielberg a one trick pony by any stretch of the imagination, but you have your style, and once your style is out there, and it's like, okay, he's it's the same style. There's nothing innovative here, so maybe it doesn't warrant the award. But then all of a sudden, boom, Schindler's List, and it's like, and I and I, and then also, and then Saving Private Ryan, same thing. It's like. It, you know it's like wow you know um so maybe maybe there's something to that because it's like you know as when i was a you know when i was getting my undergrad in music i mean you heard that with composers all the time it's like so the the composers that were really thought highly of none of their pieces sounded the same the ones that got ridiculed are like oh here's another jim swearingen you know composition because it was formulaic and it was the same thing and by i'm not saying that is steven spielberg in the least bit but i'm wondering if the academy looks at it that way it's like it's a steven spielberg film but then all of a sudden one of these other ones pop up and i'm just gonna keep rambling because fredo wants to say something you guys can't see this i'm keeps, just gonna keep saying yeah and, and, and he keeps, and he keeps <laughs> talking so no. actually because i was gonna go to support your point and the comparison i wanted to make was actually bill belichick where you know the, the New England Patriots win 10, 11 games every year. And he's almost never talked about as coach of the year candidate because it's just, that's what's expected for him and his team versus say <laughs> a coach in, in uh, Denver or a coach in Houston wins eight games. And all of a sudden everybody's like, greatest coaching job ever. So. Well, if Bill Belichick starts winning again, maybe he'll get coach of the year. So, Ooh. Um, anyway. All right. So, Good on you, John Williams. Good luck. And uh, so, cool. Uh, yeah, next bit of news, and just right quick, uh, uh, this was kind of more of a, it'll be interesting, because 
it's funny. A number of actors have been doing the interview rounds at Sundance, and uh, one of them was Stacey Ridley. So I started talking to her about her time at Star Wars, what was her experience like, what it was like with, you know, working with little-known actor Harrison Ford. And along the way, the question pops up, hey, would you be interested in coming back to Star Wars, coming back to the character of Rey? And she gave and the most answer was, honest answer ever. Go ahead. Quote, I mean, I'm open to a phone call. Uh, so I'm looking for employment. There you go. And, and I don't, I'm not like, I'm not disparaging her, but that, thank you for giving an honest answer, Daisy. It's like, it's like, yeah, ring the phone. I don't have work. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I mean, and for a lot of, and for a lot of actors, I mean, we know we've heard it from everybody from Oscar Isaac to uh, Jumbo Yega. Everybody's experience is a little bit different when they make, these big blockbuster temple movies. But at the same time, you're also, if, if in some ways you're typecast by them, it's a shame to then not turn around and go, well, if I'm going to be stuck with this, might as well be earning out of it, be actually making money out of it. It'd be interesting. It sucks to be like, I'm Ray, but I'm not making money for being Ray. Well, it'd be interesting to see what kind of story somebody would, would write that would be of interest. Because honestly, for a Ray-centric story, seeing her heading up the Jedi Council isn't instantaneously like you know ringing my bell. Now, if it was a you know Last Jedi type of fallen hero type thing, but then she kind of kind of went through that conflict already in the sequel trilogy. So I, I'm just saying, I think it's a, I think it's a difficult needle to thread to find. You know, because I would love to see more of Ray. Um, but it's like, what? how do you do it and continue the Star Wars story without it, you know? Would it be interesting maybe if, you know, because we've already established Ray's the last Jedi. She's, you know, going to try to build the Jedi Order. If you could bring, say, Force Ghost Luke Skywalker along for the ride to do something like a Disney Plus, like a miniseries. Like BJ and the bear with ghost Luke. (laughs) (laughs) She could be like came from Kung Fu. Here you go. Here's the, here's the new star Wars Disney plus show. It's called sidekicks and you get Harrison Ford and Jonas to do, you know, Han Solo and Chewbacca are sitting there and then in walks R2 and 3PO and then in walks Ray and ghost Luke. You know, we could have, and like I said, call it sidekicks. But anyway, you know, I just I just appreciate that she gave an honest answer that I've always talked about. It's like, you know, and actually um Oscar Isaac gave kind of an honest answer way back when when he said, When I need a new house, I will. You know, it's like thank you for telling that you know, honest answer as well. Um but like I said, I just find I just wonder that's the types of things it's like what kind of story because you just don't want to have a Ray Disney plus thing or a Ray movie just for a Ray movie. And by the way, I mean any character, it's like, what story do you have to tell? And and they've always surprised me. So, um, anyway, I mean, it could, um, the television series that we've seen, uh, recently kind of point a direction that you could pretty easily go 
where it's not the main story. It could but... be the, the reestablishment of the Jedi Order or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot you could do there. You see uh, Obi Wan get pulled into this uh, adventure that he had no interest in engaging in, and um, Boba Fett's story is suddenly uh, richer and more interesting. So um, you could do stuff with her, so, and I'd be I'd be open to it. So one last philosophical question before Fredo moves on. Um, because that's it because i think the reason why i say it's a difficult thread it might just be a personal thing for me because a what what is more which would you rather have would you rather write a story that's contained within the existing i'm going to say nine movies so you're you're filling in gaps of already established stuff or would you rather write something on a totally blank slate post episode nine or pre episode one. You know what I mean? I would think that the, the latter would make me hyperventilate a little bit because it's like, where do I go? What do I do? You know, now creatives would be like, yes, give me a blank slate. I'm off and running. But if you have, you know, things established already, like the, for example, the Obi-Wan series, might be a little and it might be a little, I'm gonna use air quotes a little bit easier to write because you you have those parameters around you of what's already been said and how you need to bridge those elements. Um, I would think writing a Ray story post episode nine or a Finn story, you know, would be like I said, make give me give me the, the vapors. So yeah, it'll be interesting because you, I, so far the end of the story, as we know, is the rise of Skywalker. You know, that final shot from that episode nine is the furthest we're going to, into the timeline. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any interest in pushing that forward, as opposed to keep doing stuff either in between or into the past. We'll see. Anyway. Uh, uh, speaking of Disney Plus, uh, uh, StarWars.com officially announced today the six directors who are going to be, who have directed the season three of The Mandalorian. So we got three who are returning uh, Rick Famuyiwa, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Carl Weathers. I think Carl Weathers might be directing the episode where we go back to his um, planet. And then alongside with them, we have three newcomers, uh, Lee Isaac Chung, who directed the Academy Award-nominated Minari. Uh, we have Rachel Morrison, who just came out of working on Black Panther 2. And then we have Peter Ramsey, who's one of the directors of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So it's interesting that they're branching out. You know, Minari was such a serious drama movie, whereas Into the Spider-Verse was just color and candy and excitement and fun so so it's... so um I, I mean this this is further down in our agenda but maybe this might be a good place to talk about it yeah. um is that because i really have no opinion on the directors i like the the three that have done mandalorian stuff i, I like it fine um uh, bryce dallas howard i think we said in last season that it was like holy crapola she's doing an awesome job and we should give her her own movie um 
but uh, the the trailer dropped during the Bucks Cowboys game, uh, the new trailer for Mando season three. So, um, was there anything in there that uh, what do you guys think? Did was there anything in there that made you lean in a little bit more? Um, I will tell you mine. I'm happy to see all the Mandalorians that mm-hmm. we're starting to tell the Mandalorian story a little bit more. Um, so I'm kind of pumped for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would agree with that. Uh, and I, I think that was pretty obvious that, that that was the direction we were going to go. Um, so, I mean, like I said, I was, I was happy with, with seeing a little bit more of the Mandalorians. Um, the one thing I will say that made me go, eh, was the, may the force be with you line. And I know we got force yielding, you know, Grogu in there, but I don't know it, uh, that, that line from what's her, what's her name? The uh, Billy Mo. Yeah. It, it, like I said, that Mo. was just one that made me go, eh, that's, that maybe is not one for the trailer. Put it in the episode, fine, but maybe not one for the trailer. But anyway, um, and then of course, Grogu throwing down at the end. Um, that was kind of cool. Well, and I think in in a way that that sentence is in there because it indicates some of the internal conflict that's going to come within the two of them. You know, Mando is going back to Mandalore. He's trying to reclaim the identity that he lost by taking his helmet. Whereas uh, Grogu who's rejected the Jedi Order under you know, that Luke was trying to form. Now, but even though they both made choices to be together, that doesn't necessarily mean that all their trouble's gone away. So I wonder if it can create a point of conflict between Mando, Dinjarin, and the other Mandalorians that is, you know, prowling around with a potential Jedi Knight. I will say though, I can't wait to see Order sixty six one more time. I, I don't understand why everybody was sort of uh, poking fun at that. Like, um, I, I don't mind. I really don't mind seeing it. Uh, we we were really curious about who rescued him, right? So. Show us that. I, I agree with you, Dave. I don't know why people are, are poking at it either, because it we're always seeing it. We're always getting one more, like, little piece of the puzzle. You know, what we saw in, um, in episode three, which apparently some people think that's the definitive and that's what it is. But then to the way that it has been portrayed in, in for example, the Clone Wars where you know you see um how ahsoka gets out of that um when you you know the part with grogu as long as it is is from a different angle from a different you know um in a different situation um i was trying not to say that may the force be with you um but uh in a different situation i'm i'm good with it you know um so it's uh but it is interesting it is interesting um, we saw some uh, Coruscant uh, mm-hmm. shots too with the scientist guy, Doctor Pershing. Yeah. Yes. 
So that's a little interesting. It makes you wonder if we're going to go back to the storyline, see it further fleshed out, and who might be supporting him financially? Because that would be interesting to figure out. I am still... Okay, so first of all, I went I went back and watched um, a little bit of Bad Batch Season 1. And I... So I, I still have a couple things I'm going to put money down on. I'm going to put money down on um, that um, Omega is force sensitive. And she is the reason, because if you watch like one of the first episode or the first couple episodes, she's never fired a blaster before. And she's a perfect marksman and picking off stormtroopers um, right off the bat. Um She's also, she's very perceptive and picking things up. You know, it's kind of that Mary Sue type of a thing. But I think, I think the Kaminoans discovered that, oh my goodness, she is force sensitive. And so then that's, you know, at the end of season one, then, you know, where you got their, all the, you know, they're taking the, uh, what's her name? Lama Say. But, but they're taking her to all the people wearing like, you know, the Dr. Pershing outfits. And then I think that is wrapping around to why, you know, what the empire or the remnants of the empire is trying to do with Grogu, you know, trying to, can we inject, you know, midi-chlorians into a clone and so that we can have Palpatine coming back. Um, so I, so I, I'm still, those are things I'm, I'm putting my money. I, I'm starting to see those connections being, being made. I don't know. Shoot me down if you want. Well, well no, no, I, I actually, what, what I found interesting is when you consider Omega, I, in other words, the last clone, because let's remember the clone army was not built to generate force uh, sensitive uh, characters. They were supposed to be just a clone army army of soldiers to eventually lead to the downfall of the Republic. Uh, it would be interesting if maybe the reason why Omega is the last clone is because much like Clone Force 99, she was like an offshoot and then, you know, out of the you know, jumbling of genes that the Kaminoans uh, were doing, they somehow generated a Force-sensitive clone, and maybe that picks uh, Palpatine's interest and goes, wait a minute, I didn't realize you could do that and stop what you're doing. We need to figure out how to duplicate this. But he was, Never also, mind, you know. he was already dabbling with that. And again, in the clone mm -hmm. wars, when he was kidnapping all the force sensitive children, you know? Right. Um, so anyway, so those, those are a couple things I put my money on. The other thing I'll put my money down on is that we're going to get a mall reference in uh, Mando season three, because I think the armor is atoning for her own sins and being a former mall uh follower because her helmet has horns that's the only evidence i have to that <laughs> uh, i would react a little bit to the first point with the cloning stuff which is to think that it's interesting to think that palpatine would eventually circle back towards cloning but wouldn't have wanted it in the first place um so much so that he discontinued the clone army, etc. Um, because that sort of echoes what we saw in Andor when the Empire had uh, the most wanted. They had Andor, 
under lock and key didn't know that they had him and and it's like this this idea is kind of fun to play with that you know they're so big and they're so powerful that things just sort of slip through the cracks a little bit and uh that could be one of those things where it's like i'm discontinuing the clone program oh by the way you inadvertently created a force sensitive being and it's like uh oh okay <laughs> i want it back now well and but, you know the, uh, I, I like that to, to that point you know you said that you know they had they had andor but didn't know it you know you know i work for a company of eighty thousand people and i work on a product that is one tiny little sliver of what the company creates so who knows what other engineers and people are working on you know in another part of the world in the same company you know so in the empire we're talking about the entire galaxy so you know um anyway um but yeah, so yeah, those are my bets. I don't know. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I will say the other thing about the trailer, every time I see Bo-Katan and the Darksaber, I get immensely confused. I know I turned 50 in a couple weeks, but I get immensely confused as to where I am in the timeline and where everything else has happened. Because I'm like, you know, she had the the dark saber in Rebels. Okay, when, so when I'm just and now she, she so she was in Clone Wars and she was in Rebels and she was she's in Mandalorian, and it's like sometimes I then put the Mandoverse at the same time as, or like after Rebels but before the the original trilogy. I don't know. I just get confused as an old man. Um, so. I saw somebody the other day saying that she was a teenager during the Clone Wars. I don't know if that's accurate, but that might help a little. <laughs> she was really young, and and that's why you know she basically looks the same uh, once uh, Mando rolls around. But uh, yeah, no, she lost she lost that thing. No, but I mean, don't don't you guys? Does anybody else get that way? It's like okay, having to like stop and have to get out your charts and graphs and figure out where all this is. <laughs> Cause that's the thing star Wars is doing that. Marvel doesn't do Marvel kind of moves with the exception of captain Marvel, where we went back to the nineties, but Marvel kind of moved chronologically. Forward. Yeah. It always kind of moving along the same path a little bit. Um, now with star Wars, we're bouncing around all over the place. So um, I can understand maybe if some people are getting frustrated and yeah because we're talking i mean andor takes place right before the rebellion as the rebellion starting bad batch is taking place just after the fall of the republic uh mandalorian is going to take place years after the empire fell so you kind of do have to keep a sense of where it's all happening on the timeline or it can get confusing all right well we got one more little bit of news here yeah, so just right quick, speaking of Disney Plus shows, uh, <laughs> so somebody got a nice letter from uh, Lucasfilm and Disney. Uh, officially, uh, Deadline was reporting that principal filming has wrapped on Star Wars Skeleton Crew. Apparently, a stunt coordinator shared a video on Instagram celebrating the moment 
that said, that's a rap on Skeleton Crew. And uh, one of the stunt performers shared it on their Instagram stories. And uh, yeah, all that stuff was later deleted. So, oops, <laughs> you weren't supposed to say that. But yeah, principal photography has been wrapped on uh, the Star Wars show Skeleton Crew starring Jude Law, being directed by John Watts. And uh, it's supposed to come out later this year. I was going to say, so that, I mean, it should be, it shouldn't take him too long. So cool. But I mean, again, all we know really is that this is like Goonies in space with uh, Jude Law. So we really don't, this is kind of, again, one of those exciting things that it's like, you know, the blank slate type of a thing. Um, but yeah, so cool. Do we think they're keeping it under wraps effectively? Because I've seen a lot of rumblings that it's incredible and a lot of rumblings that it's nearly getting canceled and it's a dumpster fire and terrible and all these things. Um, my takeaway is that no one knows and, they, and they've got it under wraps. So my question is this. Uh, we know that Star Wars Celebration is in Europe this year. Do you think that's we're gonna get the first trailer for this show? Maybe. I mean, there's yeah. really because Ahsoka will be out before that, correct? Um, I will be so. will be out before celebration, right? Well, double check that. Yeah, let me see what the dates are. Uh, uh, let's see, Star Wars Celebration is taking place April seventh oh, to ten. Probably not. So. I don't think Ahsoka's out yet, but. I imagine it'll be. But if you don't have heavy promotion, if you don't have um, a big movie for Star Wars Celebration, having a couple um, Disney Plus shows to talk about would be a good thing. Um, I also <laughs> saw that it looks like a lot of the Obi Wan cast is going to be at Celebration, um, so it looks like they're kind of getting back on that horse, um, at least mm -hmm. as part of Celebration, which is cool. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Dave, to your point about, I honestly, I've not really heard anything about skeleton crew. Um, I haven't heard any rumblings, so, um, I suppose they're keeping it under wraps well enough for my, my eyes. Um, yeah. and you know, it is one of those things too. It's like, I, I you know, I guess I'd, ignorance is bliss. I don't want to hear that it's a pile of crap and I don't want to hear that it's the greatest thing since animal house. You know, we've talked about that before. It's, I would, um, but I think I wonder because you've got such opposite ends of the spectrum, if something is leaking of how great this is, do you drop some counterintelligence to keep people's expectations you know, a little lower, or if you're likewise, do you, um, so I don't know, is there any counterintelligence going on? I don't know. Conspiracy mind here, but, uh, I'm, I'm, the interesting thing is we don't know outside of that description that you just gave and the fact that you lost in it, that's it. It's, we have no idea, you know, like it's not even like we're basing it on anything like we could even with something like the Mandalorian and or and i don't know how you would if let's say you are a camera operator or you know best boy on you know this on the set of one of these 
how would you even begin to know if it is if it's quality you know it's like you might hear you might see a scene totally out of context of anything else you've seen you don't you don't know what the script is like you're just there you know putting down gaffer's tape and it's like this dialogue makes no sense because they're shooting in front of a green screen and it's you know they're talking about two totally different things uh, i don't know how you begin to get those reports so i think you pretty much have to be viewing dailies to be able to have any sort of clue as to whether this thing is working or not um but it is really interesting because I think we have even more information about the acolyte at the at this point. So yeah, we got um, pictures there, leaked pictures, yeah. but pictures. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right. Well, let's okay. uh, let's 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 talk a uh, bad batch. initial thoughts i was like seriously we're watching the pod race from episode one and on one hand i was like well that's kind of cool and on the other hand i was like well that's kind of lazy um the uh then i was sitting there wondering it's like what what is the whole purpose of this thing you know um and that's what i've gotten to think about a little bit i think overall um these little you know these little vignettes that we're getting like this was a tech centric show like you know Fredo you were mentioning um last week was very much a crosshair the week before that I suppose we had kind of the whole crew but I think they're starting to set up how each one is going to separate from the group um, and so I think that's one of the reasons for this episode is to give you, start thinking about tech, tech ain't going to be around. What, what's, what would tech be doing other than, um, bad batching. And the other element I think that was being laid down here and it just comes from, it's hit across the face at the very end where the whoever the dude is we're doing a bet with um, lays the groundwork that Sid's going to bite you in the butt that Sid can't be trusted. Um, and that the, they've really started to become they're They're letting their guard down with Sid, I think is what we're seeing there, you know, because it's become comfortable. Um, I, I mean, other than that, it was just kind of a, meh episode for me i don't know dave what'd you think yeah <laughs> you just you just summed it up yeah you know i get the obvious uh phantom menace comparisons and yeah it's kind of fun do i need it maybe not so, okay, um, and I'm going to pause you there for a second and let's because let's talk about this a little bit. It was interesting watching, I don't know if you guys watched the Friends reunion, um, like, what was it, like last year? And they're interviewing the, the, crea- the creators of that, of the show. And they said, 
some episodes because of budget, because you're allocating the budget for the entire season, some episodes we had to do that were just in Monica's apartment. It was only in one loca locale. So we just had to have like two cameras and a smaller crew and stuff like that. So, you know, so I think it can be fair for people to call something a filler episode because it's like we're doing how, how many episodes this season? Is it about 18, 20 or something like that? Anyway, but you have so many episodes, but you are you going to spend the same amount on each 16 16 are you going to spend the same amount are you going to spend a 16th of your budget for each episode or are you going to spend you know a larger percentage for this one and then for this tech episode you know let's you know let's fewer characters so that means fewer things we have to animate you know we can bang some stuff out quicker um so and again, we and the only thing we really need to get done in this episode is to let people know that Tech is thinking that he can be a race car driver and that Sid can't be trusted. That's all we need to get across. What's interesting is that it's a very action-heavy episode, even though the plot's very simple. Uh, I mean, you get you're animating. You're right. You don't have as many talking parts, but you're animating whole new characters the pod racing, all the uh, yeah, dynamic the... elements of... So, in terms of you know, of effort, you're right. This isn't as labor-intensive for the writers, or even say the cast, but it's labor-intensive for the animators. But I do agree with you 100%. This is very much a... I would call it a B episode. This is... You know, I, I kind of made, made the comment yesterday. This is kind of like those episodes of the A-Team when you didn't get the very special guest star. So you just kind of, you know, okay, they're taking on, on C-list enemies and they're going to sort it out in less, you know, in a couple of commercial breaks. But it's, it's, more, it's, but it's more about the fun. It's set in an uh, office park in, instead of uh, someplace fancy. But but the one exactly, thing, exactly. but the thing, I, you know, I, I, just, I, I want somebody to go and I, because I don't have the time to do this. So anybody listening who has the gumption, go for it. Um, I want somebody to analyze shots from the pod race in episode one and the race that we had in this episode, because have you ever seen um, like Disney used to do this? It's like um, jungle book the you know, the old cartoon, not the John Favreau live action thing, but uh, jungle book. And then there's another Disney movie. I, I want to say it might be sword in the stone or it's anyway, to Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Made, yes, it was Robin Hood. Yes, Robin Hood and Jungle Book. It's like the exact same animation. All they did was just like, you know, put it, it, it's. I don't know how they did, but they just kind of superimposed stuff over the top of it, so it made their work far easier. So then, okay, so you take the pod race, or you take even footage from like the video game for crying out loud, and then can you just over the top of that? you know, over the top of that, just make things look Clone Wars-ish and you got your race. No, because I'm thinking right now, there was that wide open room with the jumps that diverted into the three tunnels. And now thinking about the way that room laid out, it feels very similar to the room 
in the very first episode of Bad Batch, where they had to go in and battle against the, the battle droids and they hone their crap. Uh, when they had to test themselves out in front of Tarkin. Yeah. That, that's what they didn't really know. It could very well be that they repurposed that, changed the skin, and boop, there you go. So, anyway, but okay, so, like, okay, so it sounds like we're, Fredo, what was, what, what was your take on? Yeah. Overall, yeah, I, I thought it was a fun, if not the biggest episode. I agree 100% with the two conclusions that you reach. Uh, the fact that they're setting up tech thinking about becoming a race car driver but also because that's part of the overall story of this we're seeing the clones kind of wake up discovering a purpose beyond just being a soldier in the grand army of the republic which doesn't exist anymore now at this point so that's one of those elements you know much like uh commander cody uh going awol the week prior much like echo becoming a bit more revolutionary even more than hunter is uh this is kind of tech starting point for finding himself out and then yes the other thing is sid at some point is going to betray them because it's interesting that she's turning off the holodeck holodeck, the the chess game the the jarek table she's she's like hey you're running up my light bill and then she's going to another planet making crazy bets with gangsters so it leads you to question how much debt is she under and the easy solution you got to get out from under is to sell the bad batch out um so i want to i want to i want to take a step to the side here for a second and backtrack to last the end of last week ep- week's episode because fredo you said something interesting said briefly uh, before we yeah, do can go i for circle it. back to tech yes um I really like this idea of a story that is um, getting the band back together. I don't know when you got, when you were talking about that, it really made me think back to the blues brothers. <laughs> we're getting the band back together. And I that, hate like, those, Illinois Nazis. <laughs> I love those stories so much because you get to see where people have gone, where they've ended up, where life has taken them. Uh, it's never where you would expect and i kind of like that i if if we end up seeing that here with tech if he's working some racetrack circuit somewhere in the future and they have to recruit him back to the team i i'd love that i think that would be a really fun thing to to witness well and it also i mean let's it's also this is still this is a cartoon primarily for kids and we cannot kill off all of the clones maybe one you know but you have to i think we have to start setting up like some some outs for them and i mean tech said as much that he was he dug dug this racing thing um so i want to take a step to the side though because you mentioned commander cody being um awol and i saw somebody on youtube hypothesize that what do you think do you think he is actually AWOL or does Rampart have him locked up somewhere? Because I think, you know, eventually we know from the trailer that Rex is going to get the Bad Batch to, they said, let's go find him. I think is like the line that's in the trailer or something like that. And I wonder if they have to go rescue Cody from the Empire. 
think is actually a wall, or do you think Rampart because Rampart was you know kind of coy about that at the end? Part of me thinks that maybe they'll find Cody and bring him back, just because he'll be a. I do think he did go a wall. It's that the whole episode was setting up the idea that clones are walking away. Yeah. They're, 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 they're rejecting everything that they've been taught to believe. And uh, code is just the latest. So I could see where that uh, kind of comes back around that the Empire's, you know, because as a commander in their army, he's got access to knowledge and information. So they could very well send somebody after him and the Bad Batch kind of from rescue. So anything else? I'm so, like I said, I'm, I didn't when I after I watched this episode, I was like, I don't think there's going to be a lot for us to dig into. Um, it, it, I mean, this is sorry, kids, but it, it's a filler episode, but it's not without its it it's, it has purpose, and I think the like I said that purpose was, um, and you know, it also I think it's interesting is that Tech was kind of getting irritated that his judgment wasn't trusted it's like i've been analyzing these numbers and i can see that this is going to be this is what we need and you know and wrecker was like that's dumb you're you know you're making a you're being stupid blah 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 and you could see he got kind of annoyed a little bit so um yeah i so i think it was it, again it was setting up his his exit um, but like I said, I, he's always yeah. been, I mean, he's the nerdy kid in the group, the kid that probably gets picked on and taken advantage of because he is the smartest kid in the group. Um, so the other, the other thing I kind of found interesting in the episode is the growing assertiveness of Omega. Cause she's the one who, who goes the double or nothing with the gangster. It's not tech. It's not Riker. She's the one saying, okay, no, we got to help. We got to figure this way out. So, okay, fine. Let's do, let's go again. And uh, uh, she's the one who propositions the idea of doing another race. So I find it interesting that they're finding little ways of explaining how she's growing around, you know, brothers, but in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. She's um, uh, very assertive at this point. Um I think we're going to see that play out. I think we're going to see this fracturing continue to occur. Uh, we've seen it with other characters, uh, not just um, Tech, but um, Echo. Uh, and Hunter is kind of, the wool is over his eyes a little bit at this point. The people don't really trust his leadership. So, and I do recommend if you guys haven't done it and the people listening here, I would recommend don't go back. You don't have to watch the entire season, but it, it has really helped me remember where we've came from by going back and just watching the first four episodes of the first season. Um, you know, just to see that groundwork being being laid and like i said we, there's a lot of stuff especially when we first meet omega that is that i think just got breezed right by when we first watched it um there's a lot more going on there and again we haven't 
we haven't paid it off. What's what were what was Lamasu and Lamase or whatever the names were? You know, what were they talking about? What's their secret project? And it makes you think it's maybe it's Omega. You know, well, it does have something to do with Omega. So what would that be? And that's why I mentioned I think she's they're going to f- figure out that she's force sensitive. Um, and then, like I said, then when I got that in my brain, I'm watching. It's like she picks up a blaster and is like all the ray stuff from you know force awakens um so it's interesting it's interesting and i think we've mentioned before feloni well actually Britt sent me a uh, and preparado she probably sent it to you as well a reel that says if if you're mad at star wars what solves it is more star wars it's mm-hmm. like when there's when there's a plot hole somewhere then more star wars fixes that because it's like um, and I don't get it. It was a funny, it was a funny reel, but it was absolutely true. And I think that is what Filoni is doing is that eventually we're going to have this. Well, it's the Joe Walsh quote, right? For that he said, you know, when you look back on your, when you're going through life, it's like all these chaotic events, just bouncing off one another and causing all sorts of mayhem. And when you look back on it, you know, many years later, it's a, it's a finely written novel. And I think mm-hmm. that's what Filoni is doing is he's filling in these holes in these different mediums. And eventually we're going to look back and we're going to see this fully fleshed out story. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, there's an idea there. And what I'll say about it is that Filoni seems comfortable with dropping a few threads of it here. And a few over here in Mandalorian, and a few here in Ahsoka. So, the the final how it all looks may may take a while to come together, but he might have a plan in terms of how it all's going to come together. I think he hands down does, and that's the thing I don't think that anybody beyond nerds like us are talking about. Is Filoni it now knows more about Star Wars than George Lucas. He, Clearly, he's, yeah, no, he is, if anybody's going to want to know about Star Wars, it's you're going to go to Dave Filoni. He has taken that baton from George Lucas. I think George handed it over to him. But he is now, you know, he he's created more Star Wars than George Lucas has, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, in some ways, he's embraced that role as kind of being the Star Wars uh, head honcho that knows all the law. No, because it's it's the one, it's the role that he seems to be groomed for by, by George. He got trained to be the heir of the lore of Star Wars. So, but in a but in a very in a very what's the word I'm looking for? He's it's it's he's not flamboyant about it. It's nope, like he's no. hidden away. Nobody, I mean. He's perfectly comfortable letting the likes of John Favreau, uh, Bryce Ellis Howard, the actors, the cast, take you know take ownership and take the credit until he gets a celebration. He's the guy getting mobbed. Yeah, right. Because he's Trapper Wolf. So, uh, anything else for the good of the order on this episode? Like I said, kids, it wasn't there wasn't much to it, you know. But uh, you know. 
it's again wait till you get to the end of the season and see how it fits into the whole mix what's the, what's the episode next week what's the name of it do we have a synopsis at all hold on i don't have see. a synopsis but it is called entombed entombed dun, dun, dun. yes somehow palpatine has returned somehow palpatine returned <laughs> um oh, right on um by the way fredo on a little side note and i think it I have to check real quick see if it's on shop disney but i heard that the count dooku lightsabers are on sale Ooh, hold on i'm, I'm hold going on. to i'm going to shop disney right now um because you can get um some of those in uh at shop disney <laughs> get away from me pop-up lightsaber go away pop-up yeah no kidding okay um uh provided there, no results there we go uh, no here we go it's tyrannus yeah the darth tyrannus lightsaber hilt uh ah. doesn't say it's on sale it's new on it's on shop disney but you can get the hilt for 159 dollars so i see it okay yeah no because i was like i was looking for count dooku and instead it gives me uh carl and Nelly's clock and i'm like i, I saw uh, there was no lightsabers enough so anyway, there you go. So there's your uh, your birthday's coming up. Your birthday is coming up. So put it on your list. Um, so cool. Uh, one last thing I want to hit before we all go run from any tornadoes that are coming, because uh, Celebration actually today they miraculously found more single day tickets to be sold, mm-hmm. and and uh, here's the thing. And, and Fredo, you, you mentioned it in our private text said how many, well, first of all, how many of these people that they announced, they also announced today uh, or a couple days ago, all these other um, celebrities that are going to be at Star Wars Celebration. And he said, how many of these were, are, were at Fan Expo New Orleans? Well, Ashley Eckstein, Matt Lanter, Giancarlo Esposito, um, you know, so, but it makes, it, it here's the thing, would you, I, I, I don't understand these. I understand, but I don't, I don't understand the purchasing of tickets if you don't know who's going to be there. I mean, would you... I guess the experience. I mean, I guess, you know, and I know you got... I mean, it's, it'd be one... I, I think it's like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll reserve a hotel... And then wait and see. But then, you know, all these tickets just go out. They just get sold out right away. Um, But, you know, I I guess, and again, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I was just wondering, would you guys buy tickets to Celebration not knowing who's going to be there? Probably not. And and let's say money is not not an issue. You've been putting your pennies away and you've got... You've got you've got the money there that you could buy tickets, and your kids are still going to be fed, you know, and you know, and everything's going to be the same. Um, but yeah, I'm, I don't know if I I don't know if I would. It's kind of a bucket list thing for me. I've never been, um, so that might be the only reason to do it. But I'd want to know. I'd want to know what I would be signing up for. Yeah, for me, 
if if I was going there, like like if it was nearby or if it was in town, like if Celebration 2024 was in New Orleans, I'd probably sign up to go because the experience is probably worth it. But then again, yeah, it'd be kind of weird to kind of sign up for something not knowing who's going to tune up or what you're going to get. Although, to be fair, that's the standard operating procedure. I mean, right now we're talking about what panels. We have no idea what panels are in, in the Europe uh, celebration. We don't know who's, you know, they just announced it was going to be there. And, you know, you don't know what dates of time. So it's, I would go for the experience, but I don't know uh, if I'd be like so willing to go. We'll see. All right. Well, the next time that Star Wars Celebration is in Orlando, then we will make a Houdat Jedi podcast road trip out of it. Um, so there you go. Yeah, maybe. But, uh, Quick plug, uh, Chewbacca. Yes, we forgot to talk about Chewbacca. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. That's all that I was saying. It's coming up. Just wanted to remind folks. Yep. Chewbacca on Saturday. Um, What's the date? Um, The 28th, right? 28th. Um, So, yeah. uh, And I think by all accounts, the weather is going to be okay. So, it won't be cold like I think it was last year. Um, but uh, hey we're in the carnival season so uh, everybody we will so we will say who dat who dat and uh, yeah everybody have a great week and enjoy Chewbacca's my